Father, thank you for my friends in this room. Thank you for this opportunity to open the word of God because your word is true. It guides and uh, directs us according to your will. Uh, It speaks to us in our hearts as it's been designed to do. And so our job is to submit to it, to learn it and submit to it and enjoy the change process growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ because we know in the world it's upside down any day now, someday soon, uh, the trumpet will sound and you will come again. And so we want to take every advantage we can in our studies now, calm our hearts, give us ears to hear, increase our faith, but help us, Lord, in this process of learning through these uh, issues that it will translate not into more information, but it will translate into our homes being transformed transformed into your likeness may it bring joy to you glory to you and ephesians 5 10 says find out what is pleasing to the lord so thank you lord for that and we um we love you and praise you for what you're doing in christ's name amen amen okay if you'll um remember that you had some homework questions um chapter two does anybody do any of those homework questions you did does anybody find any help with that or some of the processes of working through those things. I think uh, Pastor was just talking about that uh, this morning for Grace and Granite. For the men, he was saying that one of the ways to understand the Bible is to ask, you're answering good questions you may ask about the text. Well, what was he doing here? What, what did Paul say mean when Romans 7? So the same thing when we're, we're dealing with texts and ideas. Um, we want to ask good questions. So what, what were some of the... I call them pay dirt, some of the things that made a big difference in any of this reading, or was it just same old stuff? Anybody? Well, I really, are we raising hands? Yeah, no, go ahead. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed the perspective that even this John MacArthur pulled out of Paul's text as, like, the one line that really stood out was that uh, talking about how the feminist will take all the worst things of the what the men are doing and kind of like focus on that. And then mm-hmm. that the negative thing, he points out and draws attention to the negative things that men do. And it's not just all like, hey, regardless of what men do. And then it also it's like, you're not less than. And I like the parallel of Jesus submitting to the Father, but they're still equal. Like that was really helpful for me. Yeah. Good, good. It is the essence of submission. We're going to talk about that tonight. That's excellent. Good. Anybody else? Insight? Thoughts? You don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hands if you're still thinking on it. Maybe it's so deep you can't really communicate it. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. So um, to set the tone here, we're going to... Um, my, my goal is to kind of wrap our minds around the, the, the book and, and what's happening in the book and what... What are some of the implications of that? And um, so I, I made an outline. If you, Hopefully you have a handouts. There should be two. And I only made the PowerPoint because we may not have time to go back and stop and let you write down stuff. You'll have everything I'm going to have on, the, on this, okay? So that's the reason for that. So we may follow along with this uh, outline I wrote, this Marriage 101, the goals that you have we're going to work through that. And that is actually was a summary 
uh, in outline form of that chapter, chapter 3. And chapter 3 is marriage 101. It's like part 1 of marriage. We'll talk more about part 2 next time in two weeks. And my goal is to give you some things that you can use in practical ways in your home. Practical ways you could uh, understand the leadership in the home, how you could be a a complementary partner or or worker or servant with your husband and and the family. And uh, so I wanted to have that. Remember I told you originally I wanted you to, um, you know, study this so you can help teach, so you can help uh, disciple someone else. So I don't want to waste the Bible study time. I want you to learn this stuff. It's not about, you know, forcing the content down your throat. It's about you learning and being in line, getting in line with where God is. And because uh, God is always in line with his word all the time. So uh, you'll see that. But this outline, what I would do and I did in my book is I just I can fold it in half and I can stick it right behind the chapter. And hopefully I'll give you enough of them that you'll have some content to follow along. And the talicize on that handout is sort of my commentary, my thought on it. Come on in. We've got plenty of chairs right here in the front. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a couple over here too, if you want. Sure. So I'm saying I make the handout just so it's not just about the ease of teaching this. It's really kind of trying to give you some uh, tools that you can use and that you've really worked through the text. Because these are big issues, especially in the world we live in, where now they can't admit any gender. Who would ever thought we got that far from what MacArthur was talking about in the early 90s, late 80s, all the way to today. I mean, it's just, we're on, it's like 4.0. It's just horrible. But um, I want to first start off with um, the First Timothy, or Second Timothy 3. If you want to turn your Bibles there, you can. Second Timothy 3. And this is sort of a precursor to that outline that you have on number one called the world delusion of reality that's really the title that he uses in that chapter the world delusion of of, of, um, reality we're going to talk more about that but here's why he says but understand this that in the last days there will become times of of difficulty where people will be lovers of self that's interesting that we have this obsession over dealing with self and you know being self-centered, everything is about self. And here it was written in 65, 68 AD. And he says, you'll be lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it just covers the entire gamut of carnality and worldliness. They have an appearance of godliness. Even all the spiritualism, even Jungian psychology has an appearance of, of being spiritual. Uh, you have New Age people. You have the cults of Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. There's a, there is a, uh, an appearance of godliness, which is external, by the way, but denying its power avoids such people. Let me draw your attention back over to this thing. and it's, it, This covers pages 55 through 60. And... The world's delusion of reality. And I'd say the, the delusion of reality is they're always seeking happiness. Um, and so you can see the, the dialogue about the current evil in the world and psychologies that contribute to it. I don't think we can separate 
secular humanism from the evil that people have built upon. That's why it's so dangerous. The secular humanism, we call it today, you know, secular psychology, has developed these man-centered theology, um, and they've worked, uh, worked it pretty hard, given, given lots of reasons why people do what they do, and um, justified it, and even sold it to the church in many cases. But it contributes to the level of evil we're talking about today. It's very self-focused. It's very self-focused. And so, just working down the list, uh, fantasy, fantasy obsessions with romantic and sexual relationships. I was thinking TV and Internet. Um, and these are like symptoms of the regular problem with that. There's an obsession with that, a new kind of a new uh, porn, if you will, just a fantasy over um, romantic novels and things like that and sexual relationships. There's an obsession with that. Now, listen, if you're having that, those are weeds growing out of a garden of your heart that's unbelieving, really. And it's uh, living outside biblical reality breeds sinful desires and self-centered expectations. So when we're talking about your marriage, and, and how many ladies in here are married, by the way? You just... Okay, so most of us, there's some that are not, and you probably will be eventually. You're going to have to go that route, I'm sure, if you're not called to singleness, right? So the truth is, uh, yeah, so you're going to have to, that's a, that's, a, that's a suffering, that's a cross you've got to bear, probably. I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. But, um, but, you know, the thing about this is that you should remember this. Um, it's very helpful, and I just wrote down so I wouldn't forget how to say it here, but your current husband um, is your your current husband in your marriage is your life's reality. Your current husband right now that you're serving and you live with and you're one with in Christ is life's reality. Now, the reason I say that is because even in the church, and we've been doing counseling like 28 years, so we've heard a lot of stuff, we've helped a lot of people, but people are still discontent. And what I did early on when we reconciled our marriage in 1990 was I, um, I closed the door on the, on the opportunities to look and think elsewhere. You just closed the door on it. It's not a reality. Reality is your marriage right now. I oh, know, but you don't know them. No, I, it doesn't matter. God knows them. He's using them right now. You're being sanctified through that relationship. That is your reality so you'd have to live there, and it just should be foreign, almost like an alien that somebody would come and say, you know, well, what about this, or what about that, or you start thinking about another person, maybe in a relationship, work, or wherever. You close the door on that. That's not a reality. The reality is the husband that you live with now. That's a reality. Now, we work from there to make them into the likeness of Christ as well. We grow in our likeness and our love for Christ through that, but that's a that's sort of a reality. The world doesn't think that way. They don't think that way. And we, do, we know it's a reality because God says it is. He says so. That, ma- that marriage is the lifetime commitment. Also, he talks about <clears throat> there's unreasonable self-fulfillment and expectations, rights. Um, people have personal expectations. That's another thing that you can kind of preclude your discontentment if it starts rising up. Uh, the world doesn't have this. Is that we, under, we try to make sure that we redirect our thinking back to what is true, what is right. What is right is this is my husband. This is who I serve. This is what God gave me. Good, bad, or ugly, doesn't matter because they're going to grow um, and you're going to grow together in the likeness of Christ. 
Um, there's a lot of sinful fantasizing leads to other breakdowns of marriages. Um, and we use biblical thinking to combat this. Remember, thinking into sin, the best way out is thinking into righteousness or, or truth. So thinking is the segue in our heart and our mind that brings us where we're at. It's not something that just surprised you. This is uh, something you've been thinking about, and you have to guard your mind and your heart for sure. Uh, and it leads to emptiness uh, because it's never fulfilled without reality. Um, so sometimes people feel empty even though they're in that relationship. There's hope that God wants you to succeed in that marriage. He wants that to be a oneness relationship that's tender and gentle. Um, also, number two, or C on that, was marriage is designed for, to the structure of society. MacArthur talks about that. Uh, the biblical reality of marriage is, is for the purpose of society. Can you imagine that? It's not just for the church, even though that's what the church is comprised of. And Clay loves this book of um, Ephesians, but the last two to three verses of all the chapters really talk about the church. Everything's related to the body of Christ. And your marriage is not abstract. It wasn't just your idea. This is part of the structure of society, structure of the church, designed for that. It's bigger than you. So marriage was designed for sacrificial love to be displayed. Um, I know the society doesn't honor and protect marriages like we're supposed to today, but, um, but it really was designed for sacrificial love to be displayed. There's never any greater opportunity to uh, be on display to the world around us is to live in harmony with one another because that's difficult. That's the most difficult part. The difficult, most difficult relationship you have is your husband and you and your husband together. That's the most um, crucial relationship, and that's where your sanctification will always be tested right there. Now, hopefully next uh, by the time we meet on this marriage part two, I'm going to try to give you some ideas and things you can do as a wife submitting to her husband to help you in that relationship together so you don't feel uh, trapped or, or closed in or not uh, appreciated. So I'm going to show you some things that are necessary. Also, uh, family or failure in family structure it leads to the essence of love being lost, uh, number three there, and it also causes destruction in human relationship. Um, so they have a pretty perverted view of love. The world does. They don't understand it. Um, and, and you should understand that regardless of what's happening here, the devil and God are not dueling out who's going to win. There is a theology out there that believes that the devil wins sometimes, sometimes we win. Sometimes God wins, sometimes the devil wins. You've got to reject all that. I mean, he's already defeated the devil. He's already overcome the world. And so, really, the enemy that we have is inside. And I don't know if I told you, I remember the last time I said, you'll be the, the greatest uh, challenge in your own life is you, okay? Mark 7 talks about uh, everything that defiles us, makes us unclean, comes from inside. So it's our heart and our heart's desires. That's what I love about this church is that you're always going to get down to the very issue of our motives and desires. And if we focus there, we're getting to the very core of things that happen. James 4, I don't know if you can turn with me real quick. You even may be able to quote that. James 4, 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Verse 1. Okay, so you, you have an argument. Have you had an argument? Are you fighting? Are you, not, you know, are you up and down? What causes these things? Is it not this, that your passions or desires are at war within you? 
You desire and you do not have, so you murder. That means you hate. You get angry. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your what? Passions. Your greatest investment is what you want, your desires. First place to start, I mean, anytime we're talking, kind of setting the tone here, the first place to start with any conflict you have is inside yourself. Yourself. You have to pull the log out of your own eye, and the world doesn't have this opportunity. MacArthur does a good job at contrasting the, the world with the church, and that's what I like about the book the most. And then he sets a God's standard, number D, for marriage and the family. And it's the only standard that can produce meaning, happiness, and fulfillment. It's what he says in the book. Of course, it is. true. So you have to learn to trust the reality of biblical truth of God's order. So at the end of the day, you have to trust what God says will make you happy or make you joyful, will make your marriage right. So you don't have to be happy all the time. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later. But let's take a gander. Um, we just talked about that on page 77. So let's, let's go back to the beginning and talk a little bit about setting the tone for, for marriage. Feel free to raise your hand if you, if you do have a question. Let's talk about what set this up, verse 19, Ephesians 5, 19. Because we're talking a lot about submission, and it just feels, it feels bad. I know it feels confining. It feels violating sometimes. It's because we don't understand it. We just don't have the right understanding of it. Let's set the tone here a little bit. 519 through 21, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he sets it, here's the, here's the transition, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And they're saying, okay, there it is. That's what egalitarians would say. People who believe in equal rights, women can be pastors. Women can lead the home, and, it, and here's what they say. They say, well, there it is. I used to work for a pastor. It was a, a Wesleyan, and he, he told me, he said, well, I said, so all those biblical roles don't count because that one verse on 21. He's like, he couldn't defend it because it wasn't the, the, the way that it was supposed to be even taught. And I don't know if I talk about this on my, yeah. So what happened was it means is that since we're in Christ, we still submit to one another. We're both Christians. We're both children of God. We both have the same value according to Galatians 6, 26 through 30, uh, 28. And I forgot the sister that hammered that the last time. She's in here somewhere. Oh, you did that last time. Remember that? Okay, I remember that. I didn't forget that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what's really, um, and let's go back there one time. So you don't have to go there because you, you got that scripture. But let's all go there. Galatians, let's go to Galatians real quick, and we'll come back to the submitting passage here. Somebody read Galatians 3, 26 through 28. If you have the Joyce Myers Spirit Bible, please read that. To 28. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are in faith who are the 
seeing that God would justify the Gentiles, by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as... For as many as are of the works of the law and are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Yeah, that sounds like, does that sound like chapter 5 or what chapter are you in? Oh, I don't know. Huh? Yeah, it's, yeah, Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 28. No, that was good. I figured, hey, I figured you'd get there eventually. I figured you'd get there eventually. No, no, we were, we were enjoying it. Good. 26 through 28. Okay, sorry. Yeah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to the promise. Okay, that's it. So on your notes, on this, on your little notepad, you want to write this down here. Galatians 3, you can put 28 because that would be the culmination of that passage. But 28. 328, and you want to write this note on it. This talks about value, not function. Value, not function. Because he talked about salvation. He talked about justification. He talked about all of the children of God. And so we're all children of God. And so this is a passage that has been perverted by some of our extended family, church family of Wesleyan faith or holiness, egalitarians. Many Baptist churches believe that as well. That's why they let women preach, because they say, well, we're all, we're all one. Remember, there's no Jew or Greek, and, and that's mishandling the scripture. That was designed to remind you that we are all Christians uh, in the faith, and there is no Jew or Greek. God doesn't care. There's not even marriage in heaven. I know that's good news for you guys, but... <laughs> So for us who are needy, that's not that good of news. But the truth is, um, you've got to remember that that's a, that's a scripture that they'll try to use to, to justify the uh, sort of working against complementarianism, that scripture. So it's, it's about value, not function. Now go back. We're going back to Ephesians 19, uh, 519. Uh, we'll start at 21. Rather. Submit one another to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Here's what he's talking about. Even as Christians, we are totally submissive to one another. We, we're working with Christians. So it doesn't matter about our function at this point. At the, remember the value in your relationship that we're Christians in Christ, and we submit one to another that way. And it's called mutual submission. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But that doesn't uh, destroy the idea of our function and how the biblical roles are laid out here. And so he goes on to talk about, you see, notice what he said in 19 and 20, all these things about how we sing spiritual songs, make melody in our heart, give thanks. It all matters because this is a setup for us to get into verses 22 and, and further, 22 to 33. Now, here's what I'm going to do. It's, what we have to do is we have to have 
four results in being a spirit-filled marriage. So you got to have, these are the conditions you want to have. And then when two people come together, when they work together, they are, they're, they have this spirit-filled idea that they're, they're glorifying God. This is not about your rights. So the first thing is you want joyful marriage, verse 19. You want to have joyful. Your, your goal is to be joyful, not happy. Now, I'm not saying you have to be miserable. I'm just saying that's not your goal. Your goal is not to be focused on your happiness. Happiness will come when you're obeying the Lord. Happiness comes when you see God working out the love relationship together. Remember, the love your husband is giving you and the submission and respect you're giving works together so well that it almost looks like equal submission. It really does. Because he's always trying to outserve you. He's always trying to help you. And that was the idea of love being working in the same power there. And so they're addressing one another with psalms and hymns. Number two, we're full of grace, not grumbling. Full of praise, rather, not grumbling. So a lot of times we get caught up in grumbling. That's because we're not really full of praise. We're not praising God. We're not having that understanding as a spirit-filled lady in a spirit-filled home is that we are grateful for that. You know, can't you be grateful that God, you know, elected you and saved you, chose you before the foundation of the world, rescued you from hell and damnation? That is critical. And so these are important points. And here's the third one. We have to be thankful, not discontent. And that verses 19 through 21 help us outline that. We have to be thankful. Did you know that thankfulness is the antidote to discontentment when you're not content go down and start thinking about all the things you're thankful for how many things that god is working in your life um and that you know you're, this is a temporary stay this is a a minimum of 80 100 years and we're going to see the lord anyway this is a stopover for eternity where life is a million years is like one day in heaven it's crazy it's so beautiful and then the third one i mean the fourth one is submissive not resentful. Um, because submissiveness, if you're not taking it the right spirit, you'll be resentful. You'll be resentful thinking that you're in a different order. But yet God created that way. Remember, when we get into the leadership side of this for the man, you'll see what I'm talking about. But this role wasn't an accident. It wasn't random. This wasn't random saying, oh, I think we'll have a boy this time, a girl next time. This is God working constantly. And everything is according to his will. And so you are who you are on purpose by God to fulfill for God his purpose and his will. So what's interesting is that um, that's why it's so weird that people are in all this transition you know, from genders. Is that it's crazy because they were created for something for God's will. I mean, this is what they were created for. And they're shaking their fist at God, a holy God that set that in motion. Can't change it. You are who you are. So the the quicker you can settle on that in your heart, the more stable you will be. The more stable you will be. So let's make a couple points here that you may, I don't know if you can see this on your thing here, but submission is the spiritual characteristic of being dead to self and alive to Christ. Submission. Why? Because men are supposed to be submit one to another. What do we submit to? Who does your husband submit to? It submits to Christ. It submits to the elders. We're always in submission. Submission is a, a way of life. It's a characteristic of being born again. I mean, we had our king delivered us from one field where, where sin was the master. Romans 6, pastor talked about it. And then he delivered us over into this field where Christ is the master, the kind master, the taskmaster, the kind master. But we're still slaves. 
Everybody submits to Christ. Submission is a normal function in your heart. And once you embrace it and then capitalize on that, God's grace, you'll get God's grace. When you resist it, you grieve the spirit of God. Here's another one. Lack of submission is resisting the position of of a subject or slave that he created. That was rescued from hell and damnation to be saved for the what? The service of the king of kings in this world. Can you imagine? You were saved for the service of the king of kings in this world. Not for you to have your own little kingdom so you can have your own little family uh, kingdom and working through some of those things in your rulership. It's not like that. You were saved for the service of the king of kings. And it's temporary. And so you're going to get a lot of pressure from the world who are heading for a bad reality check, right? And um, I just want to lay the groundwork for that. Here's, here's what he's talking about, divine directives here in Ephesians 5.22, back on the outline again. Well, he just talks first, I'm going to just cover this, that wives submit to your own husbands. He says your own husband. You're not submitting to every husband. You're submitting to your own husband. Okay, I could unpack that for a long time. As to the Lord, when it's difficult submitting to your husband, then you can see Christ standing behind him. You can say, well, this is unto the Lord. And I'm going to show you a couple things you can do to kind of help shake him loose from whatever he's doing that he may be delusional about. And you can help him. I can show you how you do a couple things that would be very helpful. But remember that you're doing everything unto the Lord. That's, that's the key. That's the key. And he said, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, this is, a, this is one of the tougher verses. This is one of the parts that are really critical. Um, and we'll just look at the couple things that are important for you to understand, and then we'll, we'll unpack a little bit. So the duty of submissiveness is in verse 1. It's an imperative to submit the condition to your own husband. So it's, it's a duty. It's a duty for you to submit. It's one of the things that God is saying to you, I created you for this purpose, for my purpose, for the good of the church, for the good of the kingdom, for the glory of God to submit to your husband. And so it's a duty. Number two. It's a spirit of submissiveness. Here's what, here's what a lot of the, these, most of these brilliant men wrote on this. You might even want to put a note on that, but the spirit of submissive means willingness to submit. You're going to see it again. It'll be a little redundance here. But it's the willingness to submit that really, really pleases the Lord. When, you don't, when, when you're not treated right and you feel things aren't fair, you feel used a lot of a lot of times you're feeling abused or used um i'm telling you something your willingness to submit is a scary moment for your husband because the grace of god will be with you it's a moment you're bringing the lord jesus christ in that in that relationship your willingness to submit is is wonderful wonderful number three the reason for submission the headship of christ so why am I having to do this? It's because in the structure and the order of the home, it's all about Jesus Christ. Again, he's the head. Now, we're going to talk about this, um, and I'm also just bringing out, we're going to go as far as we can before we have to quit, and I just want to make sure. 
So these are some separate notes. I just made, just thinking about this. I know it's going to drive Vicky crazy. Is she here? Hopefully she's sleeping somewhere. Okay. Okay, write them down. Okay. Okay. All right. So <clears throat> he's saying that, this is, that he is the head, as Christ is the head, and he keeps coming back. Now you submit to your husband and everything. Okay. So here's the, here's the issue. How to headship, when the person's the head of something, it's a designated, it's a designated uh, position by gender. He was created to be the head of that family. That's a title. It's head. I'm, he's the head. Now, you might see terms like headship versus leadership, and sometimes, you know, they're synonymous. They're, they're the same. They use them in different, same, same context. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appeal to you to listen and think differently about this. Headship is you've you're got this position. You were married, and, of course, when we got saved, I couldn't tell by the gun she carried that I was in charge. Okay, so, I mean, it was like we had to learn we had to learn these principles and like, wow, this really, is that true? And, it, and, you know, we had to really kind of realign our thinking with what the reality of the Bible says. And, but I found out something that I'm not the leader because I'm just the head. The head is, is assigned by God to lead. Okay. So here's what I put on here. So I'm going to show you some differences. I'm just going to, you can not have to write all this down, but there's some things for you to think about. Um, leadership respect is earned through biblical conditioning and character. And people, that's when people follow you. Leadership respect is earned through what? Biblical conditioning. So the person is sanctified, is hiding the word in their heart. They've been sanctified by the truth and they're, they're Bible thinking, Bible reasoning, Bible living, and the character of that leader is, is spread out over the subjects, those people who are following them, and they follow them because they love them and they respect them. So it's, it's sort of an earned thing. The leadership as head was God-given and it was God-placed. Now, rulership. So there's two ways to go. You can go leadership or you can be a ruler. Okay, And I noticed it in the Bible, Pharisees were like rulers. They were, they were hammering the people. They were, um, the, even some of the kings were supposed to be ruling. And ruling in the Old Testament was the purpose of knowing what God's will is for God's people. That was the definition. But when I'm finding out that people have two dispositions when they're heads. The husband's a head, and he is leading with Christian character like Christ. Or he's ruling, which demands obedience and loyalty through fear. You'll see that. You'll see that. They have a choice. You're the head because of who you are. But if you're going to lead, you have to lead like Christ, who is gentle and kind, who is gracious and, and he was helpful and, and loving. And he wasn't like he was vacillating. He knew what he believed in and he would tell you the truth. But he, was, he wasn't a, a person you ran from. You ran to and you followed. And he's like, you're supposed to be as Christ leads the church you're supposed to lead your wife lead your family leadership invests in people with grace rulers protect the laws that control people so a ruler is one who demands respect from people while the leader is one who earns respect from people rulers are given respect as a result of their titles 
leaders earn respect as a, as a result of their toils, one person wrote. What they do, how they function, their love, their relationships. One's focused on the relationship. I think I put it like this. Um, one is focused on relationships. The other one is focused on the rules, the rules that control people. And so, you know, your husband, I mean, we're trying to reach your husband in grace and grant. And if he's not coming to grace and grant, you need to encourage him to do that. Because we hit some hard things. It's an hour and 15 minutes of strong Bible study. Strong. I think we had 86 there this morning at 6 a.m. I mean, it's, uh, it's making an impact in our church. Now, whether they're going to have ears to hear, I don't know. But we're shaping them. And it's just part of the solution to your marriage is to keep them engaged in the word of God. So you, that's part of things you can do is make it easy for them, help them to come. And so you have to see the divine order is this. The divine right to lead or to be the head is Christ. The divine order is husbands to be over the, over the wife. And the divine responsibility is to lead like Christ. Okay, I can say that again. This is the divine order. Christ is head. He has the divine right to be head. He's the head. Divine order is husbands are head of the of the home. That's a divine order. You're not acting on God. He's been placed in that divine order. And this is it. Is he going to lead or rule? If he's going to lead, he has to lead. That's a divine responsibility to lead like Christ. And so I say these three things in human error. Here's what happens in your marriage, the human error. Just speaking of the husband, I don't want to throw him under that table under the bus, but they're not here to defend themselves. So I'm just going to, I'm going to help. Okay. Here's some human error problems that we have. There's three major issues. And look, we can unpack them later, but here's things that happen. Usually the husband has unbiblical understanding of leadership. That's the first one. They have an unbiblical understanding of leadership. They think because they're the leader, they're the, they're the ruler, the God, and everything I say goes, and I'm, I, I control every detail of this. That's not godly leadership. That's just not godly leadership. Number two, here's another human error. Carnal exercise of authority. A carnal exercise of authority. Almost sinful. Taking, taking people for granted. Um, using fear tactics. Um, being harsh. Talks about that in 1 Peter 3. Carnal exercise of authority. And here's the third one. Personal gain through rulership. Personal gain through rulership. Some people want to be married so they can rule. That's what they are. And that's, these are three normal human errors that I help confront in counseling quite often. And so number four on this is, um, on a, for the wives, directed for wives, is the extent of the submissiveness. Because of the church, submits to Christ, whose wives should submit, willingly submission, again, goes back to that. Hupotasso uh, is the word that, you know, place your order under that. You're under the authority of God and your head of your husband, your husband's wife. Your husband's the head of the wife. And so the extent of that is through your own husband. Okay? There's some really weird stuff happening in Christendom today. Um, some of the weird things that happen is that some of the cults and some of the churches that are real un- unstable, usually the, all the women have to submit to the pastor. All the women have to submit to the elders. Some of the, some of the weird things that have to happen. Cults do this quite often. But the Bible, if you're confronted 
and you're brought to uh, question, and they want to question you, some of the leaders in the church, you bring your husband. Now, I don't know any one of our pastors that would even confront you without your husband. But if they forget, you bring your husband. And he stands for you and he answers to you and for you. I mean, and so he will, he will answer to them. So that's, that's part of the protection of your husband. You bring your husband. Let him stand there and defend, defend you. So there's some, there's some reason why we want to do this in gentleness and love. There's a reason why we want to emphasize good submission is because it's part of the order and it can't happen because we, everybody submits at some level. Everybody submits. We all do. There's, uh, and it's good. Every time I can, I can serve in a church and I'm answering to several people, especially lots of young men in the ministry, it's good for my own soul, believe me. It's good for your own heart. You've got you to gotta learn to submit just on a personal level because it, it keeps your heart open. You become teachable. Um, you become very pleasant to work with. You don't have these expectations. You're not hidden agendas where you have all these hidden agendas and rights and entitlements. So you want to submit personally, willingly, and it's powerful that way. So here in the handout, we're going back to the book or to your handout again. I just want to cover some of these principles here. So the wives are submitting for the purpose, responsibility. Uh, even if the husband's living outside of those, his responsibility, you still have to submit. You can't make you sin. If he's going to ask you to sin, no, you can say, no, my conscience violates my conscience against the scripture. I'm not going to do that. You can say that. He can't make you sin. Uh, but God's standard for purpose of marriage is it. And so the spirit-filled marriage in Ephesians 5.18 was critical. Um, so look at number two, if you would. God's standard for marriage, number two. The husband's attitude and responsibility before the Lord concerning his wife is the main point of that passage, 22 through 33. Dr. MacArthur made it very clear in the book. And so it really it has a higher emphasis on husband's attitudes and that because that is where the gentleness of Christ comes from. Think about this. Does, every day you get up, does Christ so domineering over you, he makes you obey him? Every day. No, of course not. I mean, you're, are you convicted when you're disobedient? Well, he's not over there with the ROD spanking you. He's not over there going to punish you. He's not taking you to the woodshed. I mean, it's, it's, we have this flexibility to, to follow the Lord or not. And, um, and so the husband has to remember, too, that, you know, he's not his subjects, you know, his family is going to have moments where they won't be cooperative. They won't follow. They won't obey. But it's how we respond to that as leaders that we gain that respect and the grace of God to deal with some of these issues. So he deals a lot with the husband's attitudes. Wives are to be subject to their own husbands again. Uh, justification, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church as we talked about. Look at C, submission in no way implies a different essence of worth. We always talked about Galatians 3.23. Again, it's this particular tense that's used in the scripture is willingness submission. I want to emphasize that. It should be written down somewhere. Willingness submission. There's nothing finer than the willing to submit. And it's funny because I had, all, I had six boys and my older boys, some of them were really... Game players. I mean, seriously. 
and they were very obedient to my face. They were all, they're all loving and kind. I love you, Dad. But I had another son that was just always obeying me out of sight, behind the scenes. He was doing what he was supposed to do. He was helping out. He was seeing other places and messes and things, and he, was, he had this willingness of submission. It was, just, it, was in, it was just so addicting in your own heart. It broke your own heart because of the willingness. You're so willing to submit to your husband is one of the ways you reach your husband. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, is how you reach a, a man who's not given to the word of God. And it's not arguing. It's not demanding. It's not kicking your feet. It's not uh, tattletaling. It's not, certainly not, please listen, not gossip. We don't talk about our husbands. If you got a problem, we talk to our husbands. We don't talk about them. Because that doesn't please the Lord. The Lord is still watching. He's still with us. We have to be careful. But your willingness to serve in his sinfulness, wow. I mean, it may not violate your conscience to do what he's going to tell you to do, then just be submissive. But you can make your case. You can ask if you can appeal about that and talk about it. But your willingness to submit is going to break somebody's heart. I'm telling you. If it's the heart of God, he's going to do something. He's going to do something. He's going to listen to your prayers. Okay? That's how it works. And so we talked about willing submission. You give up your rights and the willingness submission to follow your husband. Let me make one more point about this real quick. In marriage, we talk about this, and I think whoever did the last wedding, do you remember? Was it Brian that did the last one? I can't remember. Um, but but the one that I heard him say, the last one I went to, I can't remember who it was. I don't, it might have been Olivia's. I'm not sure. But the uh, pastor was talking about, you know, marriage is, is a culmination of two deaths with one wedding. So if you're single here today, remember, it's important that you know that there's two funerals before you have one wedding. And that means... You die to yourself. You'll never live with a man full of himself, especially a young guy, demanding, inexperienced. You're, you're going to have so many troubles. But a person who's, who's lost his rights and entitlements to serve you is unbelievable love. You're going you're gonna to see unbelievable love. It's the, it's the principle of dying to self to live for, for, to live for God, especially with someone else. So you have to have two deaths, two, two funerals before you have one wedding. And so the husband positionally has this authority, but he earns his followers with love and kindness. So down to uh, number four, husbands aren't to treat their wives like slaves, barking commands at them, uh, not a condition for your disobedience. So the idea is that his kindness is the same as Jesus would do to you. He knows what Christ says. I want you to do this. It's not a suggestion. It's imperative. He tells you what to do. But he's not over there wagging you, hitting you, pressing you, using fear tactics. His spirit of God wants you willingly to, to submit to God. So number two of two four two, wives fulfill their roles when they submit to their own husbands. Uh, that's their main spiritual goal. Uh, this reflects the depth of intimacy and vitality in the relationship. This is all kind of a summary of the book. Um, so fluid vertical expression of grace versus a resistant horizontal uh, resistance, um, resistance with tension. Um, and so provides the sense of ownership of a wife um, has for her husband. Oh, this is what I was thinking. Okay, so here's what he was, in the book he was talking about. When you submit to the biblical roles that God has you know, put in place, your husband's faithful to you. 
It's like ownership. You have safety and security knowing that that is your husband. And if anybody has to die for that home, it'll be him. If somebody has to make sacrifices, go without food, go without sleep, whatever it is, is the husband makes all the sacrifices for the home. When you know that, it's a sense of ownership, like this is mine. This is what God gave me. I'm going to make these investments in him. And so it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful um, picture. So let's, see, let's keep going here and see if we can get in some more material. Um, now we're going to husband's text here. We're going to see if we can cover a couple more things. I think we covered a lot of them. Any questions up to this point before we make this transition? Any questions? Thoughts? Comments? Okay? Anything that still makes you nervous about submission? Okay? Good. Christy, thank you for, you must have been praying back there. <laughs> Let's talk about the husband. Um, the object of his love. First, let's go to the scripture here first. Husbands, so you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, some people try to sidestep this and they say, well, I love them because I, I go to work. I pay the bills. Well, that is an act of love, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about a sacrificial love. He's talking about what you sacrifice for your wife, for your family. It's sacrificial. Um, and there's a lot of examples I've heard in, over many years in counseling, lots of examples where you know, men stood up and, and defended their wives, not just physically, but you know, emotionally, and they would, they would engage because of their tenderness, and that's exactly what Christ would do. So he's to love your wives sacrificially, like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of the word with the word, water with the word, water meaning the spirit, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle and any such thing, that she might be holy and without blameless, talking about the church, what the work he's doing in the church, that day he brings the church together with a great crowd where no man could number in Revelation 7, 9, all waving the branches and saying, holy, holy is our God. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, you don't even realize what's going to happen when the trumpet sounds. You don't, you don't really understand the implications of the unseen world. I mean, you don't understand what it means, the kingdom, to see Christ the king in our glorified bodies. You, it's just, there's just so much to go on. We get so caught up in our own little world, we forget that the hope is in the world to come and that you are serving God in this position you're in right now. Uh, for no one ever hated his washer in the same way that husbands should love their wives and their own bodies. Uh, he should, loves his wife, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ did for the church, because we are members of the body. Let's break this down real quick. See if we have it on there. First one was the objective of his love, which is husband, love your wives. See, everything's about love. I just, I just realized this. You know what I figured out? I figured out that a lot of times when there's quarreling and fighting among them, that's what I do. I'm doing, I do a lot of crisis counseling. And so when I get these things that are falling apart, He's right or she's right or who's, I mean, I mean, it's almost like I have to red flag, green flag and figure out who's doing what and who's right, who's wrong. You know what I'm talking about, Denise? Yeah. But then all of a sudden you realize that no matter what it is, somebody or both are not acting in love. Love is the missing link here. 
Love saying, oh, man, maybe I am wrong, honey. Maybe I did this. You know, maybe you're right. No, honey, I think it was me. I think I was just, I think I was just thinking of myself. And I hear them, guys, two people full of Christ talking to each other, and they're trying to make themselves the guilty party. And that, that's just an act of love. Love is missing a lot of, a lot of relationships, genuine love. It's what's missing. It's that this is selfless kind of, of action between each other. And then we have don't, sort of, um, don't they sort of understand that when they say we've fallen out of love? There you go. Yeah. That's what they, a lot of people say yeah. themselves. Amen. True. True. You know, they, and the other thing is the danger, too, is just falling in love um, is another danger. So if you want to, I mean, I know you fall in love. I know you fall in love, but, it, I mean, that fall in love kind of love is short term. Not for Carmelin, but for a lot of you. All right? Because she's got my grandkids, and that's not acceptable. But I'm serious. Some people really get caught up in that expression, those motions, those feelings. And so they they don't have that same high, that that puppy love, where you just can't get enough of each other, and you're on the phone for days and hours. And, you know, you're just, you you just, you get all this, you're sneaking around trying to see each other. It's just, it's just addicting. But it does, that's not the love that sustains you. That's not the kind of love that sustains you. Pretty soon you start growing up and saying, now i got to live with this person who's not, he smells funny, he's not putting his clothes away, you know, he's harsh, you know, he's got, he's got all these toys, and he wants to do all these things, and I'm confessing, my wife's sitting right there. Anyway, so, and then all of a sudden, now your real love kicks in. Now real love kicks in. The other thing is about falling out of love is another interesting thing. I've never seen anybody fall out of love with someone that they weren't falling in love with someone else. Okay? So that's just an FYI tip of 28 years of counseling. All right? So they come and say, I'm sorry. I mean, it's not, it's not, not personal. I just fell out of love with them. But if I, if I put a bird dog on their car, that's what we use in the police department. If I follow them around, I'm gonna, I guarantee you they're going to have another person who just happened just to happen fall in love with. Right, and so it's easy to fall out of love when you're already falling in love somewhere else because you didn't guard your heart and mind. You didn't close the door that your relationships with your husband is final, good, bad, or ugly. doesn't matter because the greatest part of our life is to be lived with Christ. The greatest part of our life is yet to come. If you don't close the door in your own heart and mind, you're going you're gonna to be discontent, you're going to be... You're like, oh, man, I should have waited and I should have got somebody else, you know. Yeah, you need to be very clear about the person you want to marry. You'd be very clear about that. But once you marry that person, that's a done deal. You live them out. You work on them. You make them into somebody they never thought they would be. You help them. You help God transform them into a wonderful man. The other one is the manner of, of his love is that he sanctifies her cleansing her by the washing of the water with the word. Interesting is that, you know, changing this whole idea uh, of our self, our independence, if you would, our independence that we bring to the marriage is what is happening in our relationship with one another when the Bible is working in conjunction. When the Bible is the trifecta, it's you, your husband, and the Bible, and that's where the washing happens. Now the, the Holy Spirit is changing us. And that's the metaphor that he's talking about. And so where the Bible's lacking in your marriage, I promise you're going to have conflict. Where, where, your, where your husband's not teaching you the Bible, 
you're going to have tension. The tension comes every time because it was his job. This is one of the manners of his love is to wash you with the word, not tell you what to do all the time, not to just quote some scripture and misuse it. It's to sit down with you and gently work through the scripture together. It was interesting. Some of the things I would do with Cindy is um, I would, when I got done with Grace and Granite, because pastor's slaying in there for an hour and 15 minutes, and I would take all my notes and take a picture of it before I left there, and I would send it to her at that pick and said, this is what we're learning today. Then it gave us something to talk about when I got home. We did this when we, we preached. We did this when we were teaching. We all centered our marriage around our, our God and the Word. Why? Because our marriage wasn't that good in the beginning. And we redirected our thinking to what was the commonality for us Christians. It should be the Bible. And that's where, that's where your joy starts rising. Because all of a sudden you see them becoming more and more selfless. And you, you're seeing your, your joy starting to grow. And, and then all of a sudden it's influencing your kids. And all of a sudden they're seeing mom and dad actually get along together and, and putting Christ first. It's wonderful. My grandkids actually think we're holy. I mean, they like they, they they can't believe, but they're like they wouldn't want to know. We we burned all those pictures. And the other one, he talks about uh, the illustration of love. The past, he says, for the husband, it's the love Jesus gave Himself to redeem you. I have to remember this: that this love is comprehensive, it's complete. So if we're going to end on anything, it's about love. It's the importance of love, the love past, what Christ did for you. If you can't get past any other conflict in your marriage. You can also reflect, you can sit down and journal and reflect on your relationship with Jesus Christ and what he did for you. While you were yet a sinner, you were dead in your trespasses. He came along in your life. And then he gave you your children, which are gifts. They belong to him. Now all of a sudden, life doesn't look so bad for me. Now I, now I realize I got life of my kids and my grandkids. And, it's, and I can see the grace of God just moving through you. In your obedience and contentment. That's, what, that's the truth. And so yes, understand the past love. This comes from the past love. It comes from the present love because he said sanctified, like he sanctified the church. You're actively participating. You're actively washing with the word. You're actively massaging the, the relationship. Remember, marriage is not just a, a partnership. It's a relationship. And it's active. And you have to work through that. You can't just wait for your husband to start the process. Usually, you'll be a little more intuitive, sometimes smarter, except for Tracy. I mean, uh, she's, it's my pastor, and uh, she, nobody's smarter than him. Uh, so I just want to make sure that's on the microphone. Okay. But anyway, so, so help your husband. You know, say, look, could you study? I'd like for you to study with me. I don't want Mark studying with me. I want you to study. Would you study this with me? And I'm telling you something, man, that pushes them up in leadership. A quick testimony, one of the secretaries in Seattle when I was pastoring up there, she was in charge of the home because her husband was playing. He was at boats on the river all the time. He was a very successful business guy, really nice guy. You see him in church, nice guy. But he wasn't engaging and stuff. And she went through uh, Excellent Wife with Cindy, and she went in, laid all of her books down, gave him a checkbook, everything, and said, here, I'm submitting to you. That was, that's God's will. I want you to lead me. I want you to teach me the Bible. He goes, what? What happened? Are you, is there everything okay? You know, he, he thought something was wrong. He says, no, I, I repented. I'm trusting. I'm trust, I want to trust you to teach me. And here, I want you to have all the money. 
I want you, I'm just going to submit to you, and I want us to work through this together. And she repented, didn't she? That Brenda, she was amazing. And you know what? Next thing you know, this dude is going to all the Bible classes. Next thing you know, he's coming in asking me, Mark, I don't know how to be a leader. Can you help me? And I worked him through that together, and it pushes them up. Help them. They need your help. There's places missing. They're busy. They have a lot of stuff on their mind, too. Push them up a little bit and, and engage. Don't resent. Engage them. And the last one is future. For the reward of his sacrifice and labor of love, he will present himself, um, the church, in flawless perfection. Wow. So it's a future love as well. So we can't escape it, can we? It's all about love. Even your submission is love. Submission and love, when they work together, it's hard to tell them apart. It's hard to tell them apart. It's a, it's a privilege to be submitting to your husband. It's a privilege to be who you are. God created you on purpose in the family order for his glory and kingdom purpose. The world is watching how you're functioning. The church's strength is built upon your submission, your willingness to submit, your, your eagerness to submit, even when it's hard. Next week, or next in two weeks, I'm going to go over some of the things we have to do uh, when, when you have tension, when there's some things that are going to go wrong, when you're trying the best you can and things aren't going right. We're going to talk about some real important keys there. Final thoughts, questions, anybody? Okay, let me see if I got homework here somewhere. Yep. Can you read chapter four? And it's uh, the excellent wife at work. And I was looking at the personal application questions on 195, 96. I don't know if that's the same in your book. I'm not sure on the new books. I've got the older book, but it's the application questions one and two. Um, you need to reflect on those. Just write them on the side of your book. Journal them. Um, it should be on your on your handout or on your PowerPoint. Yeah. Now, email me. This time it's going to be a little bit different. I want you to email me just a brief summary. It could be a couple sentences or a paragraph. Okay, for you guys who are zealous. Okay, I'm... A couple sentences or a paragraph on pay dirt. You know, some look at Proverbs 31, 10 through, 10 through 31. He talks about that in the book, The Excellent Wife, there. And it's a couple things that challenged you, a couple things that helped you on Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Listen, everything you're doing right now counts. It counts. Everything you do right now counts. Because I guarantee you what's going to happen. Just I'm, I'm doing my mind right now. I'm looking back years ago. Started ministry in 1993. And I'm looking back and I can see how God used everything I was doing, everything I learned, everything that I was practicing for today. Okay? He's going to use it. Your kids, your children and grandchildren will be benefit, have benefits for your obedience and what you're going to teach them. You should be able to open the Bible when you're done with this. Open that book and disciple someone, okay? On the subject line, make sure you put for pay dirt. Okay, that's chapter four. Feel that little, isn't that kind of creative? For, okay, for pay dirt. And I want you to memorize Colossians 3.18. 3.18, it's a little bit different swing, uh, what he says, how he ends that, but it's a simple verse to learn. I want you to memorize Colossians 3.18. Write me a little quickie on Proverbs 31, okay? Tom, anything else? I appreciate you guys being here. Really, I know it's a sacrifice, and your husbands are counting them. They, they, they all text me and say, get them, do something. <laughs> Make them happy, go, you know, go home and be loving and kind to them. And, just, and so let them think this is working. 
That would be helpful, okay? I appreciate you. Let me, let me close in prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day again, and what a blessing to open the Word of God. Thank you for such sweet spirit and attitudes in this room, even though we struggle personally in our hearts. So many failures in our own life that we're just uh, overwhelmed by sometimes. But you're a God of second and third and hundred chances if we confess and forsake our sin. You're faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. So, Lord, help us. Help us to, where we fall down and fail, go to confess that to our husbands and wives and just um, own it, own our sin. And, uh, and we'll be right back engaging, right back in life. Bless our children, all the children that represent in this room. I pray that you will bless them and call them to yourself. Those who are children who are wayward, I pray that you'll break them, they'll repent and come home in the name of Jesus. We love you and praise you now. We can't tell you how much we love you. It's so tied up in our hearts, but we do. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's ladies said, amen, amen. Okay, God bless you.